0: Need a bigger potion. Snakes. Why did I have to snakes? Life uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast for myself Jeff and my partner in crime. Eric, That's Eric, you. How's it going? We go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order, and on occasion, we just throw random things in. Not really random, but I mean, we did Poltergeist for good reason.
1: Side, side projects. Side project. Well, I mean, side projects or 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 interesting milestones that were not necessarily full Steven Spielberg Fun. films.
0: Full transparency. I really just didn't even have this on my list. Um, and yet, Eric has swayed me into watching th- this movie. Uh, it, it Mostly because there is a, what would you say, a f- 20 minute, 30 minute short. I think it's even shorter than that. I think it's like 20 minutes. It's like 20 uh, directed minutes. Directed yeah. by uh, Steven Spielberg. So he felt obligated. And I, you know, okay, fine.
1: Well, I think I think more than that, I think that this film holds a, an interesting place in Spielberg's filmography. Uh, because of all the things that happened around this mm-hmm. film, I think that even though this isn't like strictly a Steven Spielberg film, I think it is a formidable film, you know, like a, a, a film that may have changed the way he makes films in some ways. Oh, is in not endangering actors? I think that is it, yeah. No, and I think, I think that's an important note, you know, like up until now we've been like laughing our asses off at some of the stunts that he's pulled off in these movies and, uh, you know, time after time, film after film, we've seen you know, ridiculous things that we were like, how did this guy survive this? How did this right. guy survive this? And after... But at least I,
0: I assume that a lot of them were stuntmen. Oh, one would think so. Well, yeah,
1: they didn't duel. Not really, though. So I don't know. And the stunts were carefully planned, and so on and so forth. Like, a, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't far. necessarily think that it was like just abject irresponsibility. But in in the making of this film, some people did act with abject irresponsibility, and I think it was probably a wake up call for. You know Spielberg in particular, in the film industry in general, um, and and so I think there's a lot to contend with in this film. I also think that it's an it, it's it's just an interesting film. You know, it is. I
0: I it is. I um yeah. I I mean I can't disagree. I. I guess we should get into it. Yeah. Um let, let me ask you first before
1: we get started. What what's your history with this movie? Because you were not enthusiastic about watching this. And so I'm I'm interested in knowing like your your well, what you're coming into this with.
0: I I've seen it before in its entirety. I can't remember like their full like the third segment. I really didn't remember much about um and the, the fourth segment I remembered pretty well. But it. I didn't. Re- I remember the first little sort of teaser with Dan Aykroyd, but I didn't remember that it was Dan Aykroyd. Um. So I, I. I. I have a passing familiarity. I remember the monster being scary on the plane. And I guess that's about it. I mean, how about you? Yeah. So I. Uh.
1: I read the novelization a lot as a kid like a, a they lot of novelized these movies, this they novelized everything and down the yeah. street from me there was a pharmacy and whenever there I was love, a movie I would go down there and I'd pick up the novelization even if I, I couldn't love see the movie that. so much yeah.
0: that you read the novelizations as a kid that's your way of c- catching the movie I love that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I did when we get to Temple of Doom too. That was a big one for me. I read Temple of Doom like a million times, had never seen the movie, but I knew it inside out because i read the book so many times. It's um, so fun. So, so yeah, I read the book a lot. I, I saw this film. I had it taped off a of television and I watched it uh, several times taped off a of television Um, interestingly the Spielberg segment was my favorite when I was a kid Uh, I know we'll get there (laughs) we'll get there Um, but it was interesting watching it now I'm sure I've seen it as an adult like in its uncut form but this is I guess the television version is burned into my head uh, because yeah. that third segment, which I also was like straining to remember, like the other three, I just right off the bat knew, but I, yeah. I went into that third Same. segment and I saw her driving in the car and I was like, what's going to happen with her? What's going to happen totally with her? totally like, was like, I, I
0: thought this one was about a kid. A kid? And, kid? and then, Yeah.
1: And then yep. when it got into it, I kind of remembered it, but there were scenes- And then scenes. the guy from Gremlins
0: is there. <laughs> there were scenes
1: from that movie- uh, from that segment that I don't remember seeing at all. And so I was kind of like, what the hell? Like <laughs> with some of that stuff. So, so we'll I get guess to we that. I should say so, for those
0: unaware that this movie is four short stories in one film. So, and each story doesn't really connect to the other. Yeah, uh, and it was directed that's by... When we're, so when we're saying segments, that's an individual standalone story.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of a wraparound, and then there are four segments directed by individual directors. So John Landis did the first one, Spielberg did the second, Joe Dante did the third, and George Miller, uh, hero, road warrior... Of the film. Uh, yeah, Hero of the film, exactly, did the last one.
0: So I thought... Well, I, I, I'm ready to gush about the fourth segment but we'll we'll, we'll get we there. gotta go in order um, <laughs> and, and, and and of
1: course there's also the history to contend with so uh yeah i texted you this morning like my proposed way because there's a lot of ways i our have conversations pulled up here. can kind of like overlap and we can like get off the rails really quickly and so i i feel like
0: in order to kind of have professional some structure me i just the turn the mic on and start talking into it <laughs>
1: I, I i i'm forgoing the usual format i didn't write questions for you but i did kind of i did kind of write this Well, there's too much there's just too much
0: yeah that's fine okay
1: uh i did kind of write this structure for our conversation i thought first off it, it would be good to kick it off by just kind of talking about the prologue
0: the the dan Aykroyd albert brooks piece i love it i love this I don't know why I love it so much, but it maybe it's because it's Dan Aykroyd and I love Dan Aykroyd, but that he couldn't save 1941, but it's these two guys and I'm not familiar. You've got it written down as Brooks. Uh, should I know him from somewhere? Yeah, man,
1: that is Albert Brooks. That is the voice of Nemo's dad in Finding Nemo. He is oh, a he... a very, uh, I, I would call him maybe like a famous underground comic actor and director and writer.
0: Um, I'm seeing a picture of him today and he looks much more familiar.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and they're driving along and and I guess one of them's a hitchhiker,
1: some sort of Um, rideshare situation.
0: It's clear that they, they don't know each
1: other well, but they're getting along well, right. They're having a good time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so Brooks is like, you want to do something scary? And he turns off the lights. I thought about us parroting the scene for an opening. Um, but, uh, they uh you know he's like turns off the lights while he's driving and see how long you see who gets scared first and you know and they sing songs and there's a tape that gets eaten and uh eventually akroyd's like you want to see something really scary and they pull he's like pull over and he turns around and and comes like faces away from Brooks and then turns back and looks at him. He's got a full, like, vampire y zombie makeup on. And then he attacks and kills Brooks just randomly. Just
1: eats him. Just eats him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. And then
1: it's ridiculous, but it's great.
0: Like it's really special.
1: The the fantastic uh like camaraderie between the two you know just the chemistry between the two as they're driving along and they're playing name that tune you know because the radio breaks and uh you know you could tell they're just like really simpatico you know like these are two guys that that maybe just met but could be buddies you know for yeah. like a really long time
0: if the one of them didn't just freaking eat kill the, the other. other one yeah and acroids <laughs> like y- yucking it up like just playing it up to you are you sure it's really scary it it's awesome um and it's it's such a great way to open the film to kind of set the tone that that it's better than half of the film to be honest um and then we get the the classic twilight zone music and our narrator Burgess Meredith. Right, Burgess uh, Meredith the, who
1: I I didn't place immediately but then I looked it up and I was like, "Oh, this is a great pick." Because Burgess yeah, Meredith starred in some of the like the most iconic episodes of the original Twilight Zone. Um in particular, the one the guys even discuss the episode and name drop Burgess Meredith in the yeah. opening
0: <laughs> and the glasses, the one, one with yeah. the
1: glasses where he, where he just wants to be left alone to read. And then there's a nuclear war or whatever, and everybody's killed. And he's like down in a basement or something with all the books and his glasses break. And then he's yeah. like screwed. Um,
0: and so he's replacing Rod Sterling, uh, who, of course, had passed away by this point, who is the original voice of Twilight Zone um yes and, and again it is if you don't know burgess meredith he's rocky's boxing coach yeah um uh
1: mick but he doesn't he's not it, doing his mick voice in this at all he's a no. very really nice tonality
0: to his voice and uh pulling off the rod sterling like pretty pretty he's got a richness and like i don't know he seems more friendly than like there's something about rod sterling that was ominous yes agreed and when burgess meredith is doing his his lines it sounds like he's telling you a bedtime story um even though some of these stories are terrifying uh that you know he kind of that lead-in is at least like sort of i guess bedtime story is the best way to describe it yeah
1: so, uh, just as a quick aside, did have you watched any of the other incarnations of Twilight Zone? Like, did you watch the 80s series, or did you watch the Jordan Peele one a couple years ago? They had, like, two
0: seasons of it. I, I'll i be honest. I think this movie and a couple episodes of the original is about all I've seen. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Just,
1: just trying to get a point of I was of a Hitchcock
0: uh, Presents guy. Oh, hell uh, yeah. So, I mean... Of my anthology shows, that was the one I chose, but... Are you
1: old enough to remember that golden period in the 80s uh, where Sunday Nights was Amazing Stories and then Alfred Hitchcock's Presents, just like a one-two punch?
0: Uh, that rings a bell. I did love Amazing Stories.
1: Yeah, it was it was a fantastic... It was probably about a year they showed those two back-to-back, you know, and they were all new episodes.
0: Um, yeah, it's like the closest thing we have now is Black Mirror, but...
1: Which is awesome, that should,
0: but... yeah. It's, it's, it's the thing with, and we'll find out with this movie, it actually kind of captures what the pros and cons of an anthology series are and that it's hit or miss. It's a grab bag. Well, that was
1: just what I was going to point out with the Jordan Peele series is that it's about 50, 50, you know, like, yeah. like some of the episodes are just stellar. Some of them are kind of like, uh, I don't want to call them smarmy, but like treacly, like t- too much sentiment going on. Yeah. Um, oh, some of mm, them are just a gut That sounds hunch. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we agree we like the prologue. So let's get into the, the first segment, the Vic Morrow segment. And let's just, before we get into what happened, which, you know, we're going to have to address. Yeah. Let's just talk about the segment itself and, and what happens Ignoring in the all segment. else. Ignoring all else.
0: Even though I'm watching this, knowing it's Vic Morrow's last role,
1: You got to set it aside. You got to set it aside. I I was
0: setting it aside. Vic Morrow is really good.
1: He is super believable as the
0: amazingly racist. Severely racist. So this is something that I've had to talk about on other shows. It's like if you're if you have so like old Hitchcock movies have racism, but it's not portrayed as a problem. Right. And that's where this movie is like Vic Morrow says the N word. And then about every slur for every, uh, you know, background. Eth- what's the word I'm looking Ethnicity, for? Help yeah. Ethnicity background that you can in the opening scene. And, but it doesn't bother me because he's, the villain he's portrayed as the bad guy he, this is bad and he's even um ballsy enough to say it the n-word several times even though the table right next to them is filled with african-americans yeah who confront him about it it's like hey man they're, they're, and they're, they're very and they're, like cool
1: like they're like not as a like like they're pretty cool about like dude like we're right here We're right here really, like be cool yeah. you know and he just like doubles down and and it, it's interesting because like like you said the performance is really really good because like you know this guy you know like yeah. you're seeing this he guy just, and you're like oh i know this guy you know and 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 there's nothing in the world that is going to change this guy
0: you know yeah so a a jewish co-worker of his got a promotion over him and that starts someone on the jewish people and then he quickly changes to uh asians and african-americans and just starts throwing everyone under the bus um and you know what the problem opposed- is with america you know like he goes down that is, i'm road. an american even though everyone else is an american that he's talking about too yeah
1: he wants to claim americanism uh for himself and people
0: just like him and that's all Right. Even though, you know, the Native Americans were here first, were really Europeans infringing on this land. Um, Anyway, but so he goes outside after being confronted again. And even after, like, this is what I don't get, (laughs) because even after that Vic Morrow leaves the bar, the. The other um, African-American guys are like, what's wrong with your friend? And they're like nice to these other two guys who are sitting here yucking it up, tolerating and even laughing about the racism coming out of his mouth. I was just like, these guys are as maybe not as big of a problem, but they're tolerating it and they're sitting there. These are the guys who go, I'm not racist. Oh, the buddies. The buddies you
1: mean. Yeah, the buddies yeah, the buddies who aren't friends. actually saying it but are sitting there putting up right. with it. Oh I'm not racist. Well you yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because I'm sure that you've had similar experiences to me. As 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 a white man in America, I would never in a million billion years and, and this is something that I used to say more, and you kinda have to say it less these days, because these days racism is just right out in the open. Like people, right. people have gone like you know, a hundred years backwards and are just like, let me just flagrantly share my hideous views. Uh, But when I, when I was younger, like there, there's this thing where when it can rear its head at very unexpected times, you get around a group of white people and it's only white people. Somebody's going to feel comfortable enough to start espousing their views you know, and, and, and throwing around oh, yeah. slurs and so on and so forth. And, and so then you, you are in this situation, uh, probably, I mean, what these guys are in, I guess, yeah. but it seems more like they agree with them, but you're in the situation where you're like, am I going to like stand up to this guy and be like, Hey, shut the hell up <laughs> you know? or, or, you know, like who around me agrees with this guy. You get get in some like really, Mm -hmm. uncomfortable situations because these people feel comfortable enough to start, you know, and it, it always like hits me like, oh, like very unexpected, you know, when I'm with a group of
0: people and somebody just starts in and you're like,
1: God damn, like I wasn't expecting
0: that. It's certainly when I was younger, I probably didn't know how to handle that. I remember I had a friend who said racist things and I had a coworker, uh, later, that did say things that were pretty racist, and I remember just being kind of passive, like, okay, you know, because it's just me and him, and I don't know, are you going to beat me up? I don't, like there's something scary about someone who's so openly racist to me.
1: Yeah, as I've gotten older, I've I've learned to
0: navigate it a lot better well and i think i'm better at choosing my friends now
1: oh yeah absolutely and these are not like these are not people that i would consider friends like you said it was like co-workers or you're at a party and some people uh you know like that you don't know real well just start in you know because they just assume that
0: yeah and know. i'm more comfortable with conflict now than i was back then um where i would think i haven't run into it as much because i'm really selective now like i don't like it, it someone started chiming in and that would pretty much be it for us you know like I mean, we're done yeah um and i i just but i can understand being uncomfortable and not knowing what to do yeah and and, and- i think these guys don't care i think these like guys they, don't care i, I don't yeah. think that these guys are caught
1: off guard by this guy's sudden you know racist tirade i think that this is just you know
0: a tuesday for them you know? yeah <laughs>
1: this is just how it goes, goes down Bob
0: going on about being racist like that's the thing is if this situation happened to me this would be the last time i saw bob or vic Morrow or whatever his character's name is yeah absolutely we'd, we'd be done because they'd be like listen man i can't be around that i had a a friend i cut off because i was like i don't want this negativity and racism around me i don't want it yeah i have family
1: that i've cut off because yeah it's
0: just like i i can't have it in my life and i'm never gonna see you again yeah and that's just how it goes um so this story kind of gets pretty repetitive pretty quick he goes out of the bar and essentially goes back in time to nazi germany right he steps
1: out where and he just steps into nazi germany like
0: yeah And you don't at least in the first part of this they don't you don't really see what they're saying but apparently he looks at least you find out later on like the minority that is being persecuted in that
1: area era Right, so when he when he comes out into Nazi Germany, they 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 I think they I know enough German or you can kind of tell. First, they ask him if he's British, then they ask him if he's an American. Either way, he's not supposed to be there, and they start chasing him around. And I think they're in yeah, I mean, occupied France. That's kind of yeah. like the impression that I got was that they were in France, um, but they they really like. Nazi up on him, man! Like they chase him into this building, and he crawls out on the ledge, and the Nazi guys are standing out there.
0: Like this moment when he's standing up there and being shot at is the moment I can recall the clearest from the the first time I saw the movie.
1: Yeah, they're like playing. Like they're kind in of playing brain. like I'm going to shoot right outside his right arm. I'm going to shoot right. Like they're kind of like mm-hmm. like doing uh, almost a circus act, like kind of shooting around. I recently his body. went
0: shooting with a buddy of mine, and I can honestly say it's very hard to aim with handguns <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, i uh i was like oh this is really hard so i uh, them missing kind of made sense to me yeah uh
1: and, if they so were trying to in, one way or another he gets away from them he ends up in the in the deep south it looks like maybe in the 50s or so and uh there's some good old boys there including john larroquette uh, uh, right out of nowhere from night court. <laughs> right, I, I just was like, wait, what? <laughs> and uh, they're gonna lynch him. And I, I forget the, the the Nazis actually shoot him, which I wasn't, I didn't remember. Like they, they just yeah. like, shoot him in the arm or something. Mm-hmm. And so he's running around with his injured arm, and so he gets away from the lynching. Uh, and then he ends up, it seems like in Vietnam, and he is uh, perceived as yeah. So we
0: should say in this, uh, basically the Klan shows up. And they are going to lynch him. And he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm white. Can't you tell that I'm white? And they can't. So in the context of where he is, they see him as a black man. Um, and so he's being attacked in that way. And then he kicks one of the Klansmen and they set on fire. Oh, I forgot about the burning moment. guys.
1: Yeah, the guys are yeah. <laughs> setting each other on fire. They're like the guys and, running and around considering
0: burning what well, we're going to get into i'm wondering i wonder how safe this was like how much precaution they took into that yeah <laughs> to keep this guy from burning alive Absolutely. and then like you said we jumped to vietnam where he runs into uh some american soldiers yeah like a platoon of american sh- soldiers and uh who killed their own captain i think that's didn't they say like, we shouldn't have killed our captain
1: yeah that seems to be yeah what happened there uh So, yeah, then they they, they perceive him as a as a Vietnamese soldier and and shoot him or try to shoot him or whatever. And he runs away. He ends up back in Nazi Germany, I think, next.
0: Right. Yeah. He kind of bounces between these three places.
1: Yeah. And in the end, uh, the Nazis grab him. They slap a Velcro Jewish star on him and they hurl him onto the, the, the train. And as the, yeah. the train is pulling out, he sees his two other racist buddies coming out of the bar and he's yelling at them like, guys, guys, it's me. I'm on this train. Help me, help me. And they don't see him or or know right. that he is there. And the train pulls off. And then he uh, there's actually a very, very in- striking shot of him looking into the faces of the other people on the train. And, and the way I took it is like seeing their humanity, you know? Yeah. A- and, Maybe this is the this is the learning moment for him where he finally kind of turns the corner. It's the way I I think we were supposed to take it.
0: Yeah. Um, so I like this ending where he basically pays for his sense. Now, there's another version of this that was written where he sort of becomes more. I think uh, John Landis got a note from the producer from what I read that, hey, maybe he can be more sympathetic where he kind of learns his lesson and then tries to save these two Vietnamese children. And and that leads us into.
1: Yeah. Before we even get there, before we get into what happened and why that's not in the movie, I think that that note is bullshit. I don't think that they needed to make this guy sympathetic at all. Yeah. I like, because I think from, that would have like kicked the legs out from underneath the segment. Like I hope, I think the whole point is that this guy is going through an almost
0: like biblical retribution oh that's the other question i was going to ask but is yeah i think this ending is fine and apparently was the original intended ending according to john landis for what it's worth what you can believe from him um but that was the question before again we were delaying as much as possible but in this world there is there a deity that is punishing him that yeah,
1: it's, it's funny because I that if I had written questions, that was going to be my question for you. Is this yeah. guy going through something biblical, a trial of Abraham? Is he you know, um, and, and you know, in some of those biblical trials, people are redeemed, but in many of them, they're just punished. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like Lot turns back and looks, becomes a pillar of salt or whatever. Oh, his wife <laughs> does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lot's wife. Um, so. Yeah, I kinda do think that this guy is being punished by a deity because there's there's no other logical explanation. Nothing in right. nothing in science or even science fiction could explain what is happening Unless to this guy. He's in
0: the Matrix right. and the the people the robot overlords running the Matrix are you know, punishing him. Which, that's, which still that's so, comes down to a deity yeah, punishing him,
1: you know? I mean, like, like there is definitely a guiding hand taking this guy through these experiences. And, and that, I don't think the point is to teach him a lesson. He might learn a lesson along the way, but I don't think the point is to teach him a lesson. I think the point is just, oh, screw this guy. And yeah. <laughs> we're going to put him through the ringer. He's done, you know? And maybe... He's in hell. Maybe he had a heart attack in that bar while he was sitting there espousing his shit. And this is what happens to him after he dies. You know, I think there's a number of different ways to interpret it. But yes, I definitely think that there is a higher power at work uh, putting this guy through this
0: experience. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the reason the other ending. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, Before we do it. (sighs) before we do it
1: (laughs) okay as it exists did you find the segment effective
0: i was too distracted i i can't i couldn't get out of my brain what actually happened on set okay i think it's i will say it is the third place segment of the film agreed um
1: I think we're probably going to rate these exactly the same. We'll go through, I, it, at a, we'll go through yeah, it at the I, end, absolutely. but I think we're going to rate them exactly the same. Um I I uh I saw this as a kid, uh, like I said well before I knew what happened on set. Like when I was a kid, like I was not aware of the history of making this film and so on and so forth. And so at that time I I did find it very effective. And I think uh on as an adult, just on a knee-jerk level, I found it as like a revenge fantasy uh, interesting, you know, a- yeah. and, and and entertaining in a way. Like when he got shot, I was like, oh, damn, they shot him. You know, like so pieces of it kind of kind of worked for me. But like you, um, I was I was distracted somewhat, you know, by what happened. So, yeah, let's yeah. Go, let's go ahead.
0: OK, so this is Vic Morrow's last role um, because he was killed on set along with two child actors in a, a scene where a helicopter essentially crashed on top of them. Yeah. So the deal is, is
1: that in the, in the structure of the, the film or the segment uh, when he's in Vietnam, which is the shortest piece, you know, like mm-hmm. as far as he's, when he's bouncing around when he's in Vietnam, he was supposed to like get away from the army guys, come across a, a village that had been bombed out by the Americans and see two children, and he was supposed to pick up the two children because a helicopter was coming in to re, I don't know, napalm the little village. He was supposed to pick them both up under his arms and run away from the helicopter while the helicopter was kind of coming down on them and buildings were blowing up around them. During the shot, uh, the pyrotechnics created, and this is still like... Nobody is 100% sure how this right. all worked, but it seems like the pyrotechnics created a updraft of heat underneath the helicopter, which made them lose control of the helicopter. The helicopter came down, and uh, I don't want to get into the graphics of specifically what happened, yeah. killed
0: Vic Morrow and the two children. Most, uh, what I read was presumably quite instantly. Yes. Um, so- Thankfully, I thing, guess, at the very least. Now, here's the other thing. Important things. There are important things about this. that. Uh, oh, like the kids being paid under
1: the table. The kids were not supposed to be there. Right. The kids were brought in uh, as, as child actors, but there are laws in California uh, about how children actors work. They are not supposed to be on sets after dark. They are supposed to have like specific supervision. Um, they aren't supposed to be involved in like big special effects sequences. You know, there's all these laws about how kids are supposed to work. John Landis broke them all. John Landis broke them all. (laughs) He absolutely did. And he was aware that he was breaking them. In the end, uh, he was pronounced not guilty after like a decade. You know, he was pronounced not guilty. It's crazy. Um, he kind of, to me. Kind of pushed the blame off on uh, the helicopter people and the pyrotechnic people, um, and, and that they didn't establish proper communication with each other, and and so on. Um, yeah, but bullshit. he was he was tried for involuntary manslaughter, a bun- along with a bunch of other people, um, and was pronounced not guilty. And then uh, there was a separate uh, trial, and I guess he he and a bunch of the producers and stuff settled with the kids' families out of court. Um, but the bottom line is that the kids were on set and he had full knowledge of the fact that they weren't supposed to be there. They were being paid under the table. The kids' parents were instructed not to tell anybody, you know, that they were there. Um, which is interesting because you're making a movie. It's going to be shown in front of millions of people. And I guess at that point, it's kind of like, uh, oh, the... Nobody's going to come after us because it's done, you know, or, right. or like maybe the thought is that the supervising agencies wouldn't notice that they hadn't been there to supervise these kids. Or I, I don't know what the thought was, but essentially, so, and, and then in the scope of the story, then the kids were supposed to be with him in Nazi Germany at the end, the German soldiers were supposed to pull the kids off and execute them. Which is heinous. And then Amazing. and oh then throw gosh. him on the train. And they actually, I guess, filmed those pieces uh and then after the accident debated whether or not to include them and decided against including the children in the film at all. You know, just gee. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: So it, it makes I'm not super familiar with John Landis' films. I know his name. Um but boy, does it put um a huge pull over the movie, but also his career.
1: Uh, it well, this is something that, it, that he's carried with him ever since. Like the, it's a yeah. stigma. And he went on to have a pretty successful career. He was successful before this American werewolf in London. I love American werewolf. Me too. London. Me too. Love it. Yeah. Uh, he was successful after this coming to America, trading places, Beverly Hills cop. You know, Okay. So like, yeah,
0: I am a fan of his work then. Yeah, I mean, absolutely.
1: But I have a real hard time with this guy. And I've seen interviews with him after this. I mean, even like Michael Jackson's thriller, that was John Landis, you know, like, yeah. Like, um, and, and I just have a real hard time with how he carried on after this. You know, like, yeah. like it seems so difficult. So it, it turns out that the other filmmakers had a really hard time with this as well. And, uh,
0: so, so did this happen before the others made their yes, segments?
1: Yes, this was the first so, segment oh film. So they filmed the Aykroyd Brooks piece, then they made this piece, and then the other filmmakers were scheduled to make their pieces. So I think, and, and that's why I chose this this point in our talk to talk about this, because I think it definitely impacted everybody else. Spielberg was very, very upset and unhappy, and and was under an obligation to contract to yeah. make his segment. According to what I read last night, he decided he was just going to knock it out as quickly as possible. He filmed it in six days. Didn't want to be there was like, you know, just, and it shows just He just shit it out, you know, um, Joe Dante, you know, there's not a lot about what happened with him. Um, but George Miller, was so disgusted with the whole thing. He filmed his airplane segment and then just refused to participate any further, like in the scoring and the editing and so on. He was just like, screw you guys. I'm out of here. And, and left it to Joe Dante to like finish up his segment as well. So like after the accident, the film was more or less like hot potato. Like people were kind of putting in their pieces that they were contractually obligated to do. But then like, I'm out. You know, I'm yeah. you know, just done. One guy had his name taken, like one of the assistant directors was like, just take my name off it completely. Like He
0: had a pseudonym in there, yeah. yeah. he
1: did the Alan, Alan Smithy route, uh, which is yeah. what Hollywood it, uses when somebody's like, crazy. crazy
0: Like, it, because there's been deaths on scene, and, but this one just feels so negligent compared to others. Like you think of Brandon Lee and, you know, sometimes shit happens. Right. But then- if you had taken every precaution and then shit still happened, that's one thing. This feels like no precautions. Full negligence. Full yeah.
1: negligence. Like
0: like willful breaking of the rules. Breaking of the and rules then then it,
1: to try to get this th- shot. Landis is screaming into the walkie-talkie for the helicopter to get lower, you know? Yeah. And the whole thing goes to crap and, and innocent people are killed. Uh, and yeah, it, it really casts a pall over the entire thing. And apparently it cast a pall over them. And uh, as a result of this Spielberg had been good friends with Landis and cut off just flat out, cut this guy out of his life after this uh, and never worked with him again. Um, He also made a lot of very public statements about changing the way that he made movies and, and how he needed to grow up as a filmmaker and take better responsibility uh, he made a lot of statements Amazing. about how everybody on set has the right to yell cut if they feel like somebody is in danger or safety protocols aren't being followed. Um, so,
0: hmm. you know, since which this- is great and uh, which makes me like the guy even more. But. And I think going back like we've done there be many times. Whoa, 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 God. God, this guy should not be jumping off at the top of this bus. Right, they should be jumping. <laughs> we can't have the snake this close to our lead actor. We just, I mean, so uh, yeah. Um, and that this is the main reason I didn't want to do the film. I didn't want to talk about this. It's so depressing. It, it is depressing, and,
1: but like, like I said at the beginning, I think that this is a a pivotal moment. You know, if we're looking at at Spielberg's career. This is a pivotal moment in his career. This is a changing I, point. I like, agree. This I, is a guy that's especially... coming off of Jaws and Close Encounters and Raiders of the Lost Ark and is riding high, and then this shit thing, hap- this hideous, hideous thing yeah. happens in his career, and now he's got to deal with it, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, You know, E.T. was the last film that came out before this, the most successful film of all time at the time. And now all of a sudden he's associated with this black cloud, you know, uh, uh, you know, people died. No, I think
0: you're totally right, especially with as many times in the past we've been like, wow, that was a dangerous stunt. And then to have. And seeing him as two different actors, right, the young nothing can go wrong. You know, when you're young, you sort of feel like nothing can go wrong for you and then as you get older you're like oh yeah i can and it's like you said this kind of pivotal moment where it wasn't his fault but i got to think there's a way they could try to get out of their contracts but i don't know how it works yeah um it definitely an
1: eye opener i mean everybody has moments in their life where they are life hits them upside the head you know right. you get humbled you get you know you you learn that you're not immortal <laughs> you learn that you can be injured um and and this just feels like that you know for our dude here so uh so yeah so let's get into his segment which you know we oh. agree he shit out
0: after now in in <laughs> hindsight like i didn't know that he filmed his segment chronologically after um the 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 landis segment so let's just be honest this is the worst segment in the film. It feels like ignoring a bad, all else a like, bad granted,
1: episode of amazing stories is
0: what this feels the, like. The first episode, the first segment is probably the worst because of everything around it, but it, ignoring all else. And just from a narrative standpoint, this segment is balls. It is so boring. And again, <clears throat> this is the second reason I didn't want to watch this movie because I remember this being just a suck fest. Of, <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> I notice sometimes listening back to our episodes, I get a little sidetracked and I kind of go off on tangents. But I got to say and concede just a little something to you right now. Please. This reminded me so much of Hook. Not in a how bad it is, but there's some tone.
1: But it is. About how bad it is because it's the same fucking tone and we'll get there. We'll get okay. there when we get to hook, but you can definitely expect me to circle back around to this when we get yeah. to hook because it's the same. I have the same problem with hook that I have with this. And I, it's interesting because now maybe you'll see hook in a slightly different light. I don't know. Cause I hook has Robin Williams in the Dustin worst performance Hoffman. of his life. Like it is no, so, treacly and over the top oh god yeah it's the word okay okay have you
0: seen insomnia um (laughs) he just whispers that whole movie but it's got hoffman and i don't think you can say hoffman's
1: no no i would i would not say and then
0: um help me out super mario um bob hoskins bob hoskins is me who's awesome um and then rufio i know you don't like rufio's great
1: there can be good performances in a bad movie dude like Okay, for for
0: sure. Again, we're not talking. We're not reviewing Hook yet. <laughs> I agree. There could be good performances in a bad movie, but we are not establishing that that's a bad movie yet. But we're also establishing that Hook is better than this because there is no redeeming value in Kick the Can.
1: No, it it, it there is very little redeeming value in it. Um, it's 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 problematic racially. <laughs> is uh boring uh the it goes nowhere it goes nowhere the 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 kid performances are not necessarily in line with the adult performances. the I don't know, it's it's just really bad. like you know, outside of Scatman Carruthers,
0: who is always fun to watch, um, yeah, he's the bright spot. he's the bright spot. That in his I don't know if they're veneers or dentures, they are very bright. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: but it is uh it is it is an ill-advised segment. Apparently what happened was uh Spielberg was initially considering doing uh, Monsters Have Come to Maple Street, which is mm-hmm. one of the most famous uh both Rod Searling short stories and Twilight Zone episodes. Uh after the accident happened. They decided it was going to be too intensive, too much uh, special effects and things like that. And so they pivoted over to this one, which is an adaptation of uh, an earlier Twilight Zone episode as well. Um, I would say that was very ill-advised, you know, like I don't know
0: that it was like you said in as far as putting out the best possible product. Sure. But as a guy who just wants to get the hell out of here. I'm like, yeah, because there's nothing dangerous in this movie. Oh,
1: for sure. There is nothing dangerous going on. I mean,
0: there's a a guy hanging out the window late, but it's not dangerous. (laughs) Like, this is very much the safest possible call I think Spielberg could make and did make. And I kind of am here for it. Yeah. Um,
1: When I was a kid, I found this part charming. You know, like I I enjoyed it as a small child. Um, As an adult, I find it kind of galling and uh it just gives me the willies I I yeah I, I can't say that I really enjoy it on any level at all yeah
0: you're younger again go play okay i don't want to be young anymore okay you're not and that's the end of the story kick the cane is awful yeah. it is a big waste of time it's too and much the,
1: sentiment too much like sun drenched you know overblown
0: yeah. you know it's just the, and maybe you need that warm blanket after the last one but just it doesn't uh, it doesn't even succeed in being giving me warm fuzzies. No, it does it's not. It's just
1: boring. It, it does not succeed in any way. Um, initially, the structure of the film was going to have this be the last segment, which would have been like a hideous yeah, call then, to go out yeah, on this one. You know, like
0: exactly. And then you don't get the the wrap around, as you put it. Yeah. W- with uh, John Lithgow later, um, so yeah, definitely smart crap this out right here in the middle of the movie and just get it um, over with. So the first half of this movie is pretty much Ball City. Um except
1: for the the prologue, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, the prologue's excellent. Um and then finally, we actually cuz when I think of the Twilight Zone and I think it's probably me not having actually watched them enough. I think there's always something chilling that needs to be in a Twilight Zone episode. And it just isn't in in that segment, and and maybe it's again I'm conflating Twilight Zone with Hitchcock episodes and stuff like that. But well, again, the question becomes
1: like, who is this guy? You know, like how is this happening? Like, is he just this magical guy? So you know,
0: yeah, he's like an angel that goes from place to place, uh, yeah. and then. I mean, the moral of the story is, even though you're old, you can still enjoy life. You don't have to sit around and wait around to die. I think it's the moral of the story. Yeah, I think but that's how many the moral of the story. How many 90-year-old people are going to this movie?
1: Yeah. So I guess it's supposed to make the younger people feel better about the older people feeling better. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Whatever. Okay. It's, it's so stupid. Let's move on to segment three. Let's, we, we, something better. Something all better. Right? <laughs> um, so we agree the dead last, the last segment, in a vacuum is the worst thing about the movie. Oh, for sure. In a vacuum. Yeah. Ignoring all else. Okay. So the next one is, um, I, I've read it. It's like, it's a good life is the name of the segment. Um, and this one starts off, like we said, with a woman driving and ending up at a bar. And she meets the guy from Gremlins. I can't think of his name. You probably know it off the top of your head. I do not. But I. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I just figured you'd like a big Gremlins guy.
1: I am, but I don't Uh, know that guy's name.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but he's iconic, and he's flirting with her. But there's this kid playing an arcade machine, and it's not working correctly. He's playing Tempest. He's playing Tempest, uh, yeah. For those nerds out there like me and a guy who runs a gaming website knows that he's playing Tempest. And he's banging the machine, and there's something about it that's affecting the television that's showing A boxing match? Yeah, something. And I don't know why these guys watching the TV
1: assume that the kid banging on the arcade machine on the other side of the bar is affecting the picture on their sports
0: event. I know some pretty like this did not seem too far fetched for me because I remember as a kid, my dad not knowing how technology works. And now he he knows some technology because he installed phone systems for years. But on my we had this Macintosh computer. And my brother changed the desktop to this just this simple pattern. And my dad was like, stop doing this. It's taking up all the memory, and it's making it run slow. And my brother, who is a technical genius, is like, Dad, you don't understand And My dad goes, just let me have this. (laughs) So I could see, like, these guys be like, he's messing it up. You can't convince me otherwise. Um, So I I didn't find it to be too much of a stretch for me.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, so the... The perception of them is that he's messing it up. So so anyhow, they come to push the kid down because jerks, you know. And yeah, they're grown men and he's what, eight? Eight, yeah. So the kid leaves the bar. At the same time, the woman gets offended that the guys are such jerks and she leaves too. And this leads to <laughs> another one of these stunt moments. And you actually texted me last night Exactly at the moment, like it was, it was like a miracle exactly at the moment where I was watching this little scene over and over and over again, you texted me an image of this scene and it was like, this
0: is incredible. I watched it. I watched it 10, 15 times. I I just kept hitting. I I was like, did they really just put this kid on a bike and hit him with a car? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what it looks like. It's very good. It's very good. And I know. We're in the the post. Two kids just died on set. This looked a lot more safe, but it was. But it still, still looked <laughs> like they put for- the kid on the bike and hit him
1: <laughs> yeah. with a car. Like in E. T., there are scenes where the kids are on the bikes, and I'm like, oh, that's an adult in an Elliot hoodie at, in this particular. Yes, like, They they yes. in adults,
0: this really looks like they just put a kid the on a bike and hit him kid. with a car. Hey, you're gonna run into that car and <laughs> like. It's going to be moving, it's so awesome. hit it lightly, you know? And it, I, when you watch it on a 15-second loop, it's even better because it, she backs up, she goes, and she goes, shit. And then you just keep watching. <laughs> and when I'm watching it back over and over and over again, I'm like, she, I, in my brain, it's like she keeps running him over. It's like, shit, I did it again. I don't know. It, I laughed so much. When she, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty excellent. It's so good. So she messes um,
1: up his bike, and he convinces her to take him home. Right. So yeah. she she drives out to this house in the middle of nowhere to drop the kid off, and there's all these beat up cars out, which turns out to be important that this place is like surrounded by beat up cars because nobody has left this place in a long time. She gets inside, and it's a creep show inside it's this so house. So
0: visually awesome. The this, house.
1: This... I never, when I was a kid, I never noticed how cool the design on the house itself is. Like
0: this is artistically my favorite segment. I just the way it looks and is shot, and some of the practical effects later in the segment are so good. And that's that's the pieces that I didn't remember as a kid with some of those practical effects. But essentially, I love the story. I love. I didn't like how it ended, but I really love the story and how well it plays out.
1: Yeah. It's really good. So the family is, is, you know, like very much, uh, they fawn over this kid and yeah. Like, and he tells you it, or, or tells the
0: lead early on. Yeah. My parents don't really care. It's my birthday today. And no one even notices, you know, no, hmm. no one cares. And so you get home and you think these are his parents and they're very attentive and, Oh, he's home, Anthony's home. And then the uncle who uh is played by Kevin McCarthy, who I know from UHF as RJ Fletcher. Uh I love him. He's just, just in
1: all in, the things. Like that guy's in tons of stuff throughout this. But 70s, he's RJ Fletcher. Sure, okay. sure, sure,
0: sure. We're gonna watch UHF for this show <laughs> just because it's that's twice now. we with the Indiana Jones parody and the I love it. You bring it Um, up once an episode, at least. It's a really good movie. You should watch it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it at the theater when Uh, I was a kid. Okay. All right, good. That was it. I was going to say. Yeah, so he's in it, and so there's this family. There's an uncle, someone you presume is like a sister, but I don't think so.
1: I don't think she's really Um, his
0: sister, no. His real sister's upstairs in one of the great shot, Uh, and then his presumably mom and dad, but I think you find out they're almost like foster parents.
1: I think they're just kidnapped. I think they're all just kidnapped. I think he brought them all to this house under false pretenses and was like, you're my mom now. (laughs) You're my dad now. You're my sister now. You're my uncle. It turns out that this kid has ultimate power, you know, like, like anything that he wishes comes true. And so he's keeping this family trapped in this house to behave as his family and more or less worship him and do whatever he says. Uh, And, you know, he's a kid, and so he has weird priorities. Everybody watches cartoons. Everybody has dessert for dinner every night, you know, and they're all so afraid of him because he has ultimate power that they just, like, do whatever he says all the time out of fear that he's going to turn on them like he did his real sister who's upstairs. So
0: let's... So hold... You're going to speed right into one of the best parts of the movie is so he's like okay they're gonna make dinner i'm gonna show you around and so he shows uh, the character's name is helen and they go upstairs And this it changes there's black and white so all the tvs are on in the house all of them are showing cartoons and on this once they go into this hallway it's showing a black and white cartoon and the hallway is black and white right and he's showing her around and it's so beautiful to look at. And then he's like, that's my sister over there. And she's like saying hi, Helen is saying hi to the sister. Oh, she had an accident. She doesn't talk anymore. And the camera shows you her face from her nose up. And then the camera kind of raises and you can see that she has no mouth and it's creepy and awesome. It is creepy and
1: awesome. Did you notice how the cartoons, all the cartoons that were showing kind of reference what's going on in the movie? like the, uh, certainly with the crows the heckle and jekyll like anything i think can happen look at me i can yeah. turn into whatever i want like yeah like all the cartoons kind of had this weird overtoned uh to to what was actually going on in in the segment um so that leads into like they have the dinner it's gross you know like the, the woman says, you know, you shouldn't be feeding him. It's all him. desserts. Yeah, and... you shouldn't be feeding him like this all the time. And the kid gets mad at the other people, like, you should have told me that. Uh,
0: so then But the, can you blame him? Right, I mean.
1: <laughs> he makes the uncle do a magic trick. Uncle, Because the woman's trying to leave at this point. She's creeped out. She's like, I got to get out of here. No, no, wait, Something wait, wait. Something is wait. wrong.
0: Uncle's oh, going to do a mo- magic trick. Yeah, before we get to the magic trick, there's a moment that's kind of fleeting, but I think it's really good is they're all sitting down and, and Helen and, and Anthony are watching cartoons and mom comes up behind him. She goes, um, where is the dinner? And he goes, you know where the dinner is. It's in the oven. Oh. And you get the sense that the dinner is, is manifested by him. And go get it. It's in the kitchen, in the oven. And then she brings it. I loved that moment and it's before you fully know what's happening yeah. that that happens. And then we get to the, the magic trick. So the uncle's going
1: to pull a rabbit out of a hat, but he doesn't really know that he's going to pull a rabbit out of a hat. Like the kid provides him with a hat and he gets up in front of everybody in the family and a spotlight comes out of nowhere. And it's a great moment again, because the teacher is looking around like trying to figure out where the spotlight's coming from. Nope. Just a spotlight. Well, even
0: as the uncle He's like, "What?" Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> So he reaches in the hat and he's really scared and he pulls a rabbit out of the hat and you could see the relief on his face like it's just a rabbit. And then I forget what happens, but something triggers the kid and then this crazy ass cartoon monstrosity rabbit comes out of the hat it looks incredible it looks so cool like this is one of the the practical effects i think you were referencing and oh yeah it's like oh my gosh who made this monster like it's really really good
0: yeah uh and then it goes from then you kind of get some exposition as i can do what i want and then he makes the tv crack in half and then What sounds like the Tasmanian Devil comes out and it's this weird sort of twisted version of it looks like a practical Taz while it's spinning,
1: you know, but it's
0: also got no hair on it. Yeah, and it's kind of gross and then it changes into various other monsters and then the final one is this like bouncing thing with the eyes poking out and steam going everywhere. It looks so cool. Yeah. Um, and we skipped the part
1: where he takes the fake sister and he shoves her into the cartoon, which is pretty oh, yeah. pretty stellar as well. Like the effect of yeah. her being in the cartoon isn't particularly well done, but the cartoon itself around her is it's like this nightmarish, hellish vision. Like she she dared talk back to him or like call out that he's a monster. I think she put a note
0: uh the teacher, oh, yeah. the teacher she finds a us. note a in her purse
1: and everybody blames yeah. the sister. So he sends the sister into the cartoon.
0: Yeah. Even though it <laughs> <totally> <laughs> may not have been her. Yeah. Totally. The family's like, no, 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 no. Uh, Yeah. It, it's good. And then we kind of get this dreamlike state because, again, he gets angry and he wants every, I hate this house, everything go away. And it's just him. And Helen, and he sort, she sort of is like, I can help you with your powers. I'll take care of you. Which is this weird ending, and they get in the car, and they drive off, and now she is his mother. She's says Jedi master. She's his
1: guru. Like, I kind of got the impression. And she
0: has this idea that she thinks she can control the kid,
1: you know? Or help him learn to control himself. But yeah, like, the ending is shit. So, like like <laughs> a really strong segment up until that point but right. I guess it's because she's a teacher and she feels she hadn't had much direction in life it said at the beginning she didn't know what was coming next so she decides she's gonna take on this kid and be his mentor or whatever and they're gonna travel the world together and she's gonna teach him I don't know to be a superhero to be a new jesus who who the hell knows what she has in her mind in my right. mind I'm thinking, Get him to sleep and then hit him with a rock
0: like (laughs) or she's maybe sees this as the other thing a little bit dark. It's like, huh? this kid's my ticket to fame and fortune or, you know, whatever opportunist. They could just give us a huge house and we can have whatever we want. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's a good plan. (laughs) Like, I'd like to see part two where, you know, because a kid with ultimate power. I don't know that you can raise them. No. Because the time when they don't want to do something, as soon as they know, and this kid already knows that I have power over you, you lose. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I don't think it ends well for her.
1: No, absolutely not. That's why, that's why I'm saying like, as soon as possible, you're dropping a cinder block on this kid's skull. Like you got to take this fucker out like ASAP.
0: Hit him with the car again. Something. Yeah,
1: something, something. You gotta get rid of him because, uh, yeah, trick him into trusting you, and then and then get rid of him because it will not end well for anybody. It would have end been well a better for the ending. world. Like this has gotta they, go.
0: Yeah, like a better ending would have been if she thumbed and Louise them, right? You know, and just <laughs> drove off a cliff. And like you're like, wow, what a sacrifice she made for us. So we don't have to deal with this crazy being.
1: Nonetheless, a really good whirlwind of a segment yeah 28 25 solid minutes you know right yeah, up until the end
0: yeah exactly like there's five minutes of this that aren't good um but the rest of it's pretty good but again i think if if she drives them off a cliff then it's like okay that makes sense yeah but alas that's not what happens and we cut to an airplane in the sky
1: and and this is this is <sighs> This is the part of the movie that
0: everybody knows
1: and remembers. You know, like, this, yeah, is, this and is the that, banger.
0: Yeah, so the original, so it's Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, and the original stars William Shatner.
1: In a fantastic, you, yes, of course, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also very good. But this, yeah. I think, just ratchets the whole thing up. There's
0: so many great, like, visual. I have this moment of Lithgow's face in my mind i love john lithgow anyway um he's so good in this. so like he's in the bathroom of the airplane having they're flying through a storm and he's a mess and you know they get him back to his seat they settle him in and she's like do you want some i'm not supposed to do this but i have some sedatives and the the flight attendants are super nice like way more patient than they'd be today. He'd be duct taped in his chair.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so how how are you yeah. with flying? Are you a nervous flyer? I love it. You oh, you enjoy man. flying?
0: Because it's like so usually when I'm flying, I'm going to Washington State, which is on the other end of the country. I'm in Florida. And it's a five hour flight and it's five hours where I have no obligations. I get to read, play my switch. It's five hours I have, and I've never been on a plane with a crying baby, but even if I did, I got headphones. I'll make it disappear. I love it. Love flying. I am not. I, I am more of a John Lithgow. And I,
1: I fly frequently, not not super often, but several times a year. And I I get up there and go into low-key panic mode, and I remain that way the the entirety of the flight. Nobody looking mm. at me would know that I'm freaking out. But I'm freaking out the entire time. Like, and for me, being in the bathroom is the worst place on the airplane. Like, I hate the airplane bathroom. Because the whole time I'm in there, I'm thinking there's about four inches of man-made garbage and plastic between me and the abyss right now. And, like, I just, it feels crazy cramped and claustrophobic and hideous so when i saw him in the bathroom at the beginning i was like get the hell out of the bathroom man <laughs> like my only thought when i'm in the bathroom on the airplane is what if the airplane starts crashing while i'm in the bathroom and i'm gonna be stuck in here like like it would be realistically any worse than being anywhere else on the airplane Yeah, it's crashing but that's the only thing that i can think of while i'm in the bathroom so I strongly relate to John Lithgow in this segment. Like I, I am a nervous flyer, you know, and I, like you, I play with my switch. I wear headphones. I watch movies, you know, but the whole time in the back of my head, I'm trying not to think about the plane exploding
0: while I'm on it. Yeah. So I I think for me, like the first couple of times I went, I was kind of like, whoo, you know, because I never really flew that much as a kid. But at some point, I was just like, you know, if I'm going to go this is probably pretty plainless. All right. You know, to me, there's worse things like it, it, anything's better than dying slowly, you know, of some sort of terrible disease or you, you get to avoid Alzheimer's. And you know, like to <laughs> me, that's how I think I'm like, I, I just put myself in the mind state. Well, if I'm going to go, there's nothing I can do about it. So, okay. And then I just, I'm not worried about it anymore because it's, I, I I've given up all control at that point, and there's something freeing for me about that,
1: yeah that's a that's a wonderful way to be. and I'm super jealous. I will never be that <laughs> way. I will never be that way. like when I was younger, when I was still you know immortal, I didn't mind it as much. As I've gotten yeah. older, it's become more and more like the people that are on planes that flip upside down and fall to the ground never think that they're on the plane that's going to flip upside and, <laughs> down and fall to the ground. Like, that's but that's the way my probably, mind goes, you know? Like, nobody's ever do expecting think it. That. So the, what makes me think I'm going to be safe, you know? Like, so, so John Lithgow, flipping out, flipping out terribly. There's yeah. a horrible storm. The
0: plane is bouncing around. Now, okay, let me circle back. If I'm flying through a storm like this— I'm not calm and zen, for sure. Okay. I, I mean, I, I, every flight I've been on, there's been a little turbulation, and that's fine, you know, and it's it's fine. I, I've never been on a flight like this, where they're going through a storm. Okay, I certainly would, would not be at peace at that moment, yeah. But <laughs> but he's already got flying anxiety, and they're going through a storm. So he looks out on the wing, and
1: through it, it, the way this is filmed is so good. It's so good. It's so good because just through all the wind and rain and lightning and crap, you see this thing out there on the wing, kind of tearing at the wing and like ripping pieces off and biting them and so on and so forth. And then I think even in that first shot, the lightning lights up and it's sitting on the engine and you get your first clear view of it. And like the lightning hits it and it just loves it. It's like,
0: ah, it's (laughs) a, it, a metal monster. It's like the rock. Like I swear he has an electric guitar on there, riding the wing. (laughs) Lightning's hitting him. His tendrils are blowing in the wind and you just hear like a nasty lick. Come on. I would have just put it over the top for me. But, um, yeah, he's, um, he's, He's loving life, tearing up this plane.
1: He is all about it. So Lithgo, of course, freaks out. And the the way that they handle the other people on the plane, there aren't many characters on the plane, but the ones that are there are stellar. Like, there's, yeah. there's the big guy in front of him who's, like, the, the FAA security guy, it turns out. And the little girl with the camera is, like, so perfectly cast as, like, the irritating kid who is kind of cute, but kind of irritating, and is in your yeah. face too much when you're freaked out. Uh, just stellar. So he's freaking out. The The flight attendants keep circling back around to him. And I forget how many times he freaks out before they really decide they're going to take him down. I think he, like it's a pretty quick segment. It's only 20, 25 minutes yeah. long.
0: Um, they're pretty patient with him, though. And one of the flight attendants is quite sympathetic And, you know, tucks him in, says, I'll sit next to you. And he's like, no, I'm good. Like, they really try to take care of him before they have to take him out, you know?
1: Yeah. But eventually, you know, he keeps looking out and seeing things. Nobody else sees
0: it. He flips out and they're like, okay, we got it. We got to do something with it." So that's what this, like, awesome visual. He, He sits there and he opens the window and the monster's face is just right up on the window. And it's a hideous-looking monster. It looks great. And they cut to his face, and they do, like, this brief moment where you have to rewind it a couple times where his eyes bug out, almost like, um, do what's the character from Roger Rabbit at the end? Christopher Lloyd's character. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doom, uh, Judge Doom. Bug, Judge Doom bugs out. And then it cuts to him getting up, yelling. And the camera is, like, even with his face. So it has this awesome, like, surreal... Zoom out moment, and it looks so good. And then they grab him, and Lithgow's face is nightmarish in like his sort of mania he is in. And it they capture him and tie him down, and it's great. He now, how does he get back up? To oh, he gets the gun. He gets right? the gun. He's he's so
1: the the FAA guy is wrestling around with him, and he has a, a gun holstered on his ankle. And Lithgow gets the gun and rushes uh, over to the window and is like, if nobody else is going to do anything, I'm going to take this thing out. And I think first before that, he's trying to break the window with the oxygen tank that broke free, right? And right. Then he gets the- and
0: he even says at one point in the movie, he's not as worried about himself as everyone else on the plane, right? Yeah. Like there's this point where he breaks and I think that's when he opens the window and you know, he breaks at this point and it's just, I'm taking this thing out. Yeah. And I don't care if I die to do it. I'm, I'm, this thing's got to go. Everyone else is going to be safe. And that's what he does. He (laughs) He shoots out
1: the window that, cabin decompresses he gets sucked halfway out the window the faa guy's trying to hold him in the window he's out there like busting shots out at the wing like trying to shoot the thing everybody inside the cabin's going nuts stuff is flying all over the place you know the plane is like bouncing all over like it was already on the verge of like not making it because the thing is taking out so far two of the four engines on the plane and uh the thing comes over and takes the gun and I think it bites off part of the guy. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like, it, <laughs> it shocks Luke. I was like, and I almost feel like the monster's like, like once they get out of the clouds, the monster looks down, the clouds clear and you can see the runway and the monster's like, time's up. And almost like, sort of is like, this guy's got balls. Yeah, I like this guy. The monster guy. was like, almost. this was a good one. <laughs> like, even though I didn't, Kill anyone on this flight. This was a lot of fun. It's almost like you've seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah. At the end of the movie, where she's like, "I've I've taken a lot of people for a lot more, but I had way more fun scamming you guys." And that's what this is. And he's like, "All right," and he flies off into the night because it can fly, and goes to, on to terrorize someone else. So they get. It's very good. It is it's very, good. very good. It is
1: very good. It's very effective. It's very like dizzying and claustrophobic and you know just filmed in such a way that it puts you really off kilter and as somebody who has like you know problems with planes and motion and so on i'm watching it on the edge of my seat like kind of like bobbling around like oh my god like it very much worked for me i can't even imagine seeing this in a theater it would have like melted my brain um they get down to the ground Bottom line, the plane lands. Everybody's
0: safe. A crew comes out. Now, at this point, people on the plane still think Lithgow was just nuts. They're like, he's out of his mind. Like They've got him strapped in a gurney. They're throwing him in the back of an ambulance. Crew comes out to take a look at the
1: plane. Uh, because they say, okay, one of the engine's out. We're we're kind of worried about the other one. We need you guys to look at it, see if any fuel is leaking. And they come around to the side of the engine, and there it is. The engine is just torn to crap. There are, like, claw marks in it. There's stuff sticking out everywhere. Because the the thing was, like, ripping off hunks of metal and throwing them into the front of the engine. (laughs) Oh, he's good. He's good. good. So good. Uh, So Lithgow... Of course, then, to, to wrap the whole thing up, he's in the ambulance, turns around. The ambulance driver is Dan Aykroyd. It's oh, yeah. S- heard Aykroyd. you saw something real scary up there.
0: You want to see something really scary? Really scary? And then he puts in a tape that's playing the song from the beginning. that was playing in the car at the beginning of the... <sighs> like, the movie goes out on top. Like, we've been through a lot in this movie but they did save the best for last oh for sure this the structure
1: saves it at the end yeah you know you do leave with like a okay you got me there at the end you know um so i think we rate i think we're gonna rate this the same way
0: yeah it's uh, i mean the best segment is the fourth one yeah then the third one mm-hmm. then the first two one. would be would be the one with the kid in the cartoons yeah and then the uh Ma- uh moro one yes and then finally the the Steven Spielberg one. But uh, having sort of knowing that he just shat it out, it actually kind of makes me like it a little more. It's just like, let's get this done in the can. I'm gone. Leave me alone. I'm like, okay, I respect it a little bit more. <laughs> you know, like you're not going to get my full attention for this shit show of a movie. Here's a pile of crap. Bye. Yeah no question though that
1: george miller saved this movie like yeah uh, he like you know like spielberg bunts the other guys are hitting like one base and george miller comes in is like get the hell out of here Wow, home run at yeah. the end you know like he absolutely you know puts this movie over the top and, and saves it um so all told do you feel like you know everything else aside
0: is twilight zone worth watching the second half for sure i think it's worth watching i think it it yeah it's kind of i these anthology movies there aren't that many you know there's like creep show um i can't even think of any other ones mm-hmm. i know there's more newer
1: ones but, uh, those uh oh those vhs movies those are fun. Have you ever seen those? I'm not familiar with that. Oh, those are good. There's a whole series of them. They're like the same deal, different
0: horror directors. It's called VHS. VHS. Yeah. There's probably like three or four of them. Uh, and the, the VHS two, VHS 94. So is that like
1: 90s themed? VHS? It's it's made modern times, but themed as a 90s one. Yeah. And the, uh, okay. the conceit is that people are finding these VHS tapes with different horrific things on them. You know? Um, but they, Uh, they can really be pretty good. Those are good ones. But yeah, like you said, there's not too many anthology movies out there.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's, if there weren't this dark cloud over it, it, I would unequivocally be like, yeah, this, this is fun. It's kind of good. eighties fun, right? Just sitting there watching the Vic Morrow stuff and being like, man, this guy doesn't know that this is it, you know? And, And it's just hard to watch for me. Um, but the I would just say go ahead watch the second half in the movie call it a day you know watch the opening and then watch the final two segments and you're you're gonna have a good time take you about an hour yeah and, it's not a long movie I mean
1: even if you yeah. watch it beginning to end each of the segments with the exception of this Spielberg one they move you know they,
0: they, like well, that they, one drags doesn't it it does yeah yeah and like the the first segment ends almost sooner than I was ready for like is oh, oh okay it's over we're on to Sunnydale. Um, yeah, it, it does move all right. I wasn't bored, and in, in, other than the the Spielberg segment, but yeah, it's certainly worth watching. The Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet.
1: Yes, absolutely. How about you? Yeah, same. Um, I, 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 I definitely feel like you know the lesser known directors at the time, Joe Dante and George Miller, like really showed up. <laughs> you know, they showed up to play.
0: And uh, and I think yeah because there's like here's a chance to make our name for ourselves. I'm directing alongside I don't what Atlantis done at this point. Atlantis um, was pretty well known at this point. Animal House, yeah, you but, know stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and then but you're directing alongside Spielberg, who has the biggest movie of all time. The the sort of um, at this point number Cameron one. Cameron at that point top you of know? his game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would I would definitely say that this was worth watching. You know historically interesting film I think in the scope of Spielberg's filmography interesting I wouldn't watch it for Spielberg because it's clearly not the reason to watch this movie but I think that it is uh, still interesting and at certain points actually good so
0: yeah to, to great even like the last segment is great it is um, Creepshow is on Peacock I'm gonna have to watch that Oh, I love Creepshow man Creep is really good. I especially, I'm a big Leslie Nielsen fan, so anything with Leslie Nielsen, I'm like, yep, I'm in. Um, so what do we even? His bad things. What do we got coming up next? Oh, the Temple of Doom, my friend. The Temple of Doom. So we're going back to indie. Uh, our first sequel. I'm I'm and excited for it. I I I actually am too because I'm wondering if I'm gonna like it more than Raiders. This is a lot of because, people's favorite. You
1: know, like yeah, a lot of people, this is their Indiana Jones movie. I whereas I always I'm not those it.
0: people, but ignoring Crystal Skull, I always ranked it before we started this podcast. Last Crusade is number one. Again, ignoring Crystal Skull because it's the worst. Uh then I would say Raiders and then Doom. But I'm wondering, and having watched Raiders and not really being that into it, if I'm gonna find this one more enjoyable.
1: Yeah. I, I also am interesting how my rankings are going to play out like at the end. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll save that conversation for next week, but there are some things I think that have been brought into perspective by watching these earlier movies that I think might kind of tilt my perception of Temple of Doom when we do watch it. So, uh, but man, I, I don't know if I can get past Willie.
0: Well, I do hate some Willie, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's been a lot of talk about short round sort of being the replacement for yeah. indie you know like it it makes the most sense um well he's And in I that think it's a good Michelle way to Yeo redeem movie. the character
1: yeah and uh, that that actor has really come like splashing back into the spotlight in the last 6 months or so with that movie Or that even said.
0: recently with the everything all at once yeah that's what i'm talking about uh, yeah yeah like he's he's really so Uh, it could be good yeah yeah we'll see we'll see he was an encino man oh yeah he was an encino man i love encino man anyway uh, i guess that's it for us uh if you want to get in touch with us you can do so on twitter he's at eric underscore hotter i'm at podcast by jeff uh you can check out gamingnexus.com for all your video game needs and reviews um what else uh you're the movie draft house yes which is another movie podcast if you there aren't enough in the world um and uh, it's definitely worth your time if you like anger, um, well, budget arcade, free to play games, and indie game reviews in a podcast form. I guess that's it. I'm done. Are you done? I'm I'm done. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Check for, out the uh, links for all the disc- I well that we'll just yeah you close you're better at this than me. <laughs> we'll see you next week for Temple of Doom. Thanks for listening.